Good to see you. If, uh, if I don't know you, if I haven't met you, my name is Aaron Boving. Uh, I've, I've spoken here before, so you may remember me from that. It was probably last fall sometime. Um, but I work for an organization called Bethlehem Christian Academy. Um, those of you who I know are a part of the church, you uh, are probably at least a little bit familiar with Bethlehem Christian Academy. And I, I know that you all sponsor a child to, to go to our our school, but just very briefly, Bethlehem Christian Academy, what, what is it? Well, we have Christian schools in both Zambia, Africa, and then a country in Northwest Africa as well. And these schools are for, these Christian schools are for very poor, impoverished uh, areas. Many of these children are orphans. And so we've started these schools in order to help them. We feed them in the school. Uh, but most importantly, we want to tell them about Jesus and give them an opportunity to to trust in Christ as Savior, and then to become a part of a, a church. And so we planted a church at each one of these locations. Now, I'm not going to be really sharing too much about BCA today, uh, Bethlehem Christian Academy, but that's uh, in a nutshell what, what I'm involved with. But today I'm going to open God's Word and just look at a, a passage of Scripture with you today. And so, if, if you will, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Is this on? A little bit closer. Can you hear me better there? All right, good. All right, so Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, <clears throat> we're going to look at here, <clears throat> here in a moment. Um, but, but again, while you're turning, let me just say thank you again, because at least Pastor Mike has told me that um, he may have told you all about we had a, a project at one of our schools in Zambia, where we were basically given a mandate by the local government that we had to upgrade the restroom facilities at our school by a certain time, or they may even threat to shut our school down or, or face uh, some legal ramifications. And so we kind of put out a, a ploy to our, our church partners like AV Chapel and Parkland Chapel and other, other churches to, to help us <laughs> to raise the money. And so we, we want to thank you because I know y'all gave a donation to that project. And I want to tell you that we were able to get started on that. I think, I haven't seen, seen the latest, but I think the, the ground was broken and they started on the slab for that uh, on Friday. Does this ring a bell to anybody? Okay, good. All right, so at least a couple of people. So, because uh, again, I know AV Chapel gave a donation to that, but they started on that. Uh, I believe last Friday, and so I'm leaving for Zambia this Thursday to the location where this school, where this restroom facilities is being built, and so I hope to get some pictures and some, some update on, on that project, but let me just say thank you if you've given to that, and I know the church has given to that, and so thank you so much for that, and I want to ask you to pray though too, um, like I said, we, we leave on a trip this Thursday. Uh, we've got about 15 total on the trip that are going on the, the, this first trip. And so just pray. I, I know the group from, from your church that was going to Israel and in Israel right now had a lot of travel difficulties. And it seems like that is just what's happening these days. That if you, if you uh, book a, an air, uh, air flight or whatever, you're probably going to be delayed, it seems. And so just pray for this group, if you will, that's leaving Thursday to, to Zambia, that we won't have any travel problems or anything like that. But, and again, just thank you for letting me be here, and, and I want to open God's Word with you to Luke chapter 4, and look at verses 16 through 21. Now, here's what I want us to think about today as we look to this passage. I want us to think a little bit about the mission of Jesus. So, in other words, why Jesus was sent into the world. Why Jesus came into the world. Now, 
probably, if you're thinking about that, why Jesus was sent, probably the first thing that you think about, which is the, a good thing to think about, is that Jesus was sent to be the Savior, to, to die on the cross, to raise again on the third day, and to provide salvation for everyone that trusts in Jesus. And if that's the first thing that you think about, you're exactly right. That's exactly right. What, why Jesus came, he came to be the Savior. But this morning, I want us to think about an aspect of why Jesus came that sometimes we can overlook, but is yet so crucial to his ministry and what he came to do because it points ultimately to what Jesus did in being our Savior and being the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And so that's what I want us to think about. And if you're taking notes, if you want to know that kind of the, the main subject is this, that Jesus came, was sent to proclaim the gospel or to proclaim good news. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. So look at it with me. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This is talking about Jesus. He comes to this place called Nazareth, uh, which was basically the hometown of Jesus. And he preaches a message to them. So here's, here's what happens. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Would you bow your head again with me in prayer as we look to God's word? Our Father God, we take one more moment just to calm ourselves before you and ask you to speak to us through your word. Father, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be here and to be a part of this church this morning, a church that I know loves your word. And the pastor, Mike, who loves to preach and to teach your word. And so, God, we believe in your word. We believe that this is your word, that you speak to us through the Bible, through this word. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit now that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, um, and that you would lead us and guide us into all truth, that you would convict us of sin, that you would convict us of how we need to obey you more appropriately, and that you would guide us during this time. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, think think with me for a moment about a time when you receive some really, really good news, some great news. Maybe it was a time when you got some news that you got that particular job that you were hoping to get. Or or maybe it was the news that you had a, a clean bill of health, that you were healthy, that you were doing well. Maybe it was that time you received some good news that your favorite sports team, right, had won the game. So any Blues fans or anything? Right, okay. So maybe you received the news that they had won the Stanley Cup, whatever it may be, or the Cardinals or whatever. Some really good news. Some of the best news that we get is we're having a baby or the the baby is born and healthy and doing well. We could go on, but think for a moment 
about a time when you receive some just really, really good news and then multiply that by a thousand or a million, right? Some really, really good news. Well, this earth-shattering greatest news you could ever hear is in many ways what Jesus is talking about in this passage. When he says that he, he came, he was sent to proclaim or preach, your, your passage may say, preach the good news, the gospel. What Jesus is talking about is the most earth-shattering shattering greatest news possible that you could ever hear, which is the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to think about. We're going to think about today about how Jesus preached the gospel. And even as Christians and as the church, our calling is to preach the gospel and to proclaim the good news to all who have ears to hear. So as we think about this passage this morning, I want to give you three points that speaks to how Jesus was sent to proclaim good news. And the first point is this, is that because Jesus was sent to proclaim this earth-shattering greatest news possible, because he was sent to proclaim the news, first it means that the good news is proclaimed. Now, that sounds a bit redundant, doesn't it? I'm saying Jesus was sent to proclaim good news, and now I'm telling you that the good news is proclaimed. But I want to make this point clear, that the good news is proclaimed, and ultimately, that was at the core of Jesus' ministry on, his, on the earth. It was at the core of his earthly ministry, and what we're going to see here in this passage. Now, ultimately, again, Jesus was sent to be the Savior, to be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. But his earthly ministry was primarily <clears throat> a teaching, proclamation, preaching type ministry. Jesus was a teacher. He was a, a rabbi. He was a preacher. Now, let me just give you a little bit of an aside here for a moment for, for Pastor Mike's sake, because I know I was a preacher for a time. I used to be the pastor of First Baptist Ironton. There's a lot of preacher jokes, right? You can joke that they only, that they only work on Sundays or whatever, right? So remember this, okay? The next time you're, you're, you're saying that preacher joke, remember that Jesus, too, was a preacher, okay? Keep that in mind, because he was a preacher. He was a teacher. And the passage says that he came to his hometown, Right? It says the place where he was brought up, Nazareth, where he, where that was kind of his hometown. And this is the very sort of start of his earthly ministry. And so it's very telling about how Jesus saw his ministry and what he came to do. So it was the Sabbath day, and as all good Jews do, they go to the synagogue. They go to the gathering place where they studied God's word. And so that's what Jesus did. And it, the implication is, is that the ruler of the synagogue had asked Jesus to preach the message that day or to teach the passage of Scripture. Now, it doesn't specifically say this here, but it's, since this was Jesus' hometown, I'm sure everybody knew Jesus. They knew who he, who he was, and in fact, they probably knew that he was a really good teacher of the Bible. Remember the story about Jesus when he was 12 years old? when his parents took him to Jerusalem and they accidentally left him there and then when they came back and they found him, where was he? He was in the temple and he was with all the teachers and the scribes listening to them and, and even helping teach them as well. Jesus, I think, would have been known as a really good teacher of the scriptures. And so this day in the synagogue, the synagogue leader asked Jesus, he's in town, hey, why don't you come and preach the message this day, essentially. Now I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he, he was asked to preach the message. And so that's what he does. And so as you, if you look again at verse 17 here, he was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. 
So he opens up the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament, and he reads this passage of Scripture. Now, we're going to look at this passage a little bit later, but it's from Isaiah chapter 61. We'll look at it a little bit later, okay? Isaiah chapter 61. So he, he picks up the scroll, like he unrolls it. They would have these big scrolls back at the time. They don't have Bibles back then. He would unroll it, and then he read this passage of Scripture. He stood up to read it, and then he sat down to preach the message, which was the custom at that time. Now, here's a summary of Jesus' sermon that day, his message. Look at verse 21 again. Here's the summary of what he said about that verse that he read. Verse 21, he said, It began to say to them, Today, this scripture, right, the scripture that I just read, Jesus is saying from Isaiah, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, here's what Jesus' message is, essentially. What I just read from Isaiah, that is now fulfilled, and it's about me, Jesus says. Jesus is saying that that passage from Isaiah is about me. So look again at verse 18. What does he read? Jesus is saying this, that his ministry is the Spirit is the Lord uh, is upon me, Jesus is saying, to what? He's anointed me to what? To proclaim, notice, good news to the poor. He goes on to say, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Anybody have the King James Version? Nobody? All right, so if you, ha- if you, have the ki- you got the King James Version, it actually says he came to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying, that he was sent to do. You know, I think this is one of the most misunderstood truths about Jesus' ministry. We, we forget the truth that he came to proclaim good news. Now, if you were to go out, let's say on a busy day in Ironton, maybe one of the, the festivals is going on, or, or, or the fall festival, or the mountain music festival, or something like that, and you go out there to the crowd, and you ask some people, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why was Jesus sent I bet you would definitely get some answers. Well, he came to die on the cross, and, and that's certainly true. I bet you would get some answers like, well, he came to do good things, you know, maybe heal the sick. Maybe you would get some answers like he came to change the world or to do good or social transformation. You might get a, a variety of answers, but I bet you wouldn't get many answers where somebody said, well, he came to preach the good news or he was sent to preach the good news. Yet what Jesus is saying here is that this is the core of his ministry. He was sent to proclaim the gospel, that greatest news that we could ever hear about him. And notice again how me-centered, Jesus-centered this message is. The Spirit of the Lord, Jesus says, is upon me, Jesus says. Because he has anointed who? Me, Jesus says, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus is saying, his message is essentially this, I have arrived, Jesus is saying. I am here. It is fulfilled. Remember the Gospel of John, chapter 1? How does it start? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it later says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is talking about Jesus there. Jesus is the word. In other words, Jesus is the message. Jesus is the good news of the gospel. 
And Jesus is saying, I am here. And I came to preach about myself, Jesus says. That's what he's saying here. Jesus came to preach Jesus to the captives. Jesus to the poor. Jesus to the oppressed. To preach the message of the gospel. Now let me give you this application point for a moment. That if the mission of Jesus, why Jesus was sent to proclaim the gospel, if that was at the core of his ministry, then the core of the church's mission and ministry must be to proclaim the gospel. To share the gospel. To bring the gospel to those who've never heard it. As I mentioned before, I I work for Bethlehem Christian Academy. And in many ways, we take this verse too as the core of our mission. To proclaim the gospel to the poor. To the poor. In a very, we're going to think about who the poor are here in a moment, but specific, but we take that because I think that means materially poor, and I think that means spiritually poor. You know, we're able in our ministry to give the gospel and help with physical needs for some of the poorest communities in the world. In these bush communities out in Africa, they have nothing, and we're able to help them. We're able to physically help them, give them an education, feed them in our schools, but most importantly, hear me, we're able to tell them about Jesus and help them in their spiritual poverty. We're, we're able to see their lives transformed in the power of the gospel. Preaching the gospel to the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. That's what Jesus came to do. It's proclaimed. The second point I want to give you is this. That because Jesus was sent to proclaim the gospel, it also means that the good news is heard. The good news is heard. So again, Jesus read the scripture. He sat down to preach the message. And then notice what verse 20 says as he's preaching. Look at verse 20. It says, He, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And notice this. It says, And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. Were fixed on Jesus. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, notice what's going on. Jesus is preaching this message, and it's the point of the passage, or in his message, where everybody is focused in, right? Everybody is laser focused on what Jesus is saying, right? It's It's the moment in the service where all the babies stop crying for a moment, Right? Everybody, all the coughing stops, all the sniffing and sneezing, everybody is focused in on Jesus. Right? They are, they're, they're attentive. And Jesus says that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Everyone heard that message this day, but I want you to hear me. Hear me. Even though they heard it, they didn't necessarily believe it. Notice what happens in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were what? Filled with wrath or anger. They were angry. Why were they angry? They were angry because what Jesus was saying. They were angry because Jesus was saying that this passage from Isaiah is about me, Jesus says. In other words, they heard the gospel that day, but they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They didn't take it to heart. You know, I think about my own life, and you may think about your own life for a minute as well. I, I grew up in the church. My, my parents are, are Christians. I heard the gospel probably thousands of times 
growing up in church. And yet, even though I had heard it thousands of times, I hadn't yet believed it until I was about the age of 16 when I came to hear it and truly believe it. And maybe you can think about your own life for a moment when you were saved. How many times did you hear the gospel and yet didn't believe it until that moment when, when God awakened your heart to, to hear it and truly believe it and you trusted in Jesus? Maybe you'd say, well, that point has never happened in my life. And my hope and prayer is that you would hear the gospel, not only hear it, but you would truly believe it and give your heart and life to Jesus. You know, when we look to this passage of Scripture, I think we get a clue as to who hears the gospel and believes the gospel. In other words, I think we get a picture of, of the type of person. Who is it that believes the gospel and truly hears it and believes it? Let's look at it. Here's the type of people. Notice who the gospel is for. Verse 18, here's who the gospel is for. See if you see yourself in this group of people. To proclaim good news, who? To the poor. He says to proclaim liberty, who? To the captives. To proclaim sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, the gospel is for the poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Now, if you're being honest, I don't think that's a group of people that you would voluntarily put yourself in. Would it be the poor, captives, blind, and oppressed? But hear me. If you've never thought of yourself in that way, then you may have never truly understand how great the news of the gospel is. In other words, what I mean is that if you never see yourself as a sinner, as the scriptures clearly say that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we are all dreadfully sinful people, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of God's punishment, but the greatest news possible, Jesus came to be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. He died in our place. Right? Until you see yourselves as a sinner, as poor, as captive to sin, as blind, as oppressed, then the gospel is not good news. Let's think about these groups of people here for a moment. Jesus says, he came to preach good news to the poor. Now, as I mentioned before, I think that in many ways that refers both to the materially poor and the spiritually poor. It's, it's not an either or there. I think it's both and. And again, Bethlehem Christian Academy, that's our heart. We desire to bring the gospel and to help some of the poorest children in the world. To help them, many of these kids are, kids are orphaned. They have nothing, not even a mom and dad. Nothing but, but the clothes that they have on their back. And yet, we not only want to help them physically, but we want to help them in a spiritual way of giving them Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, when he says that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, I don't think that means that Jesus came to preach a prosperity gospel that says that you can get rich on this earth. I don't think that's the message he came to preach. I think the message that Jesus came to preach is that you can be rich by knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I think that's why Paul says in Philippians, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as nothing for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Friends, when, I, when we 
share the gospel with these children in Africa who, who literally have nothing at all. We don't tell them that you believe the gospel and you're going to be earthly rich. We, we don't tell them that you're going to have a huge mansion and you're going to have all these cars and you're going to have all th this money that you can imagine. But here's what we do tell them. We tell them, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be rich for eternity because you will know the one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And He will make you rich eternally by knowing Him as Savior and Lord. Jesus came to preach, to proclaim the gospel, liberty to the captives, he says. What kind of captives? I don't think Jesus was preaching a, a message of, of liberation theology that's political or social. But I think the heart of what he's saying is that he will free you from the bondage of sin, from the captivity of sin. He will free you from sin. That's why Paul says in Romans, Having been set free from sin, you have become a slave of righteousness to God. Jesus says that He came to preach the recovering of sight to the blind. Now, Jesus did physical healings in His ministry, didn't He? He healed physically many people. But I think ultimately when He says He came to, to bring the recovery of sight to the blind, I think that's spiritual in a way too. The gospel of spiritual healing, sight for the blind... You may be familiar with the story of John Newton. John Newton is well known as the author of the song Amazing Grace, a song that we sing very often. But John Newton, he was the, before he was a Christian, before he was saved, he was the captain of a, of a slave ship in the 18th century. He was a man that was very far from God, uh, very, uh, again, had a, had, a, had a slave ship where he would bring over slaves, a man far from God, and yet God saved him and John Newton would eventually write the song, Amazing Grace. And you know the lyrics. What does he say? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's what Jesus is talking about here, is it not? Recovering of sight to the blind. Was blind, but now I see. You see, John Newton realized that he was blind, that he was far from God, that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. And he gave his life to Christ. One more person that we see this gospel is for, it's for the oppressed. Jesus says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You know, Jesus, I don't think, came to preach an earthly kingdom, but an eternal spiritual kingdom. There are many people today that live under tyrants and dictators. We are very blessed to live in the United States where we have freedom. And yet we have many brothers and sisters around the world, Christians, who are living under a, a tyrant, living under a dictator. But hear me, the gospel is not ultimately the good news that you will be freed from a tyrant in this earth. But the gospel is the good news that you will be freed from the oppression of the bondage of sin, of this world, and of the devil himself. That he will free the captives, those who are oppressed. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. Jesus proclaimed this message ultimately so that he could then die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven for everyone who trusts in Jesus, who gives their life to Christ. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as poor, as blind, as captive, as oppressed, but I want to encourage you to think of yourself in that way apart from Jesus. But then I want you to realize that when you trust in Jesus, 
He saves you. He frees you. He, he gives you sight. He gives you riches in Him. That's the good news of the Gospel. We've sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory, but through faith in Jesus, we can be saved. The Gospel is the good news that even though we are more sinful than we ever even imagined, we're more loved in Jesus Christ more than we could ever hope for because of God's love for us. So I encourage you to hear that today. Believe in Christ. Give your life to Jesus. There's one more thing I want you to see from this passage. That because Jesus was sent to proclaim the good news, it also means that the good news is fulfilled. It's fulfilled. Where do we see that? Look again at verse 21. Jesus says again, that today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, as I said before, Jesus is reading from Isaiah. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah. I'll, get you, I'll give you a minute to turn there. Isaiah chapter 61. I want you to see something about what Jesus reads here. Isaiah chapter 61. I'll give you just a little bit to turn there so you can see this because it's, it's important to see that actually Jesus doesn't read the entire passage. And I want to show you why I think that he doesn't read the entire passage. So Isaiah chapter 61, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 out of Isaiah 61. Still here, a few pages turning. Everybody there? All right, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Notice, it's, it's the passage that Jesus reads, right? So Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, right? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Notice verse 2 of Isaiah 61, verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you remember back in Luke, that's where he stops reading, is it not? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But then notice the rest of verse 2. And the day of vengeance of our God. Now, think with me for a moment. Why do you think Jesus left out that phrase, the day of the vengeance of our God? God, or the day of the wrath of our God. Luke does not record Jesus reading that, does he? He stops short, and Jesus says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your presence. What? The year of the Lord's favor has been fulfilled today. And here's, what, here's I think, where we should think about this. Hold with me, because I don't want you to miss this. What I think Jesus means when he says that today... This scripture has been fulfilled. He's talking about the day of God's grace. The day that Jesus referred to 2,000 years ago is the same day as today. June, what is today? June 23rd, 2019. The today is the same day. And here's what this means. Right now, we are in the year of the Lord's favor. What that means is that today is the time of God's grace and mercy where He is pouring out His mercy. He is pouring out His grace. And we are called, as we've seen, to call people to believe in Jesus and to trust in Jesus as the Scripture says, today while there's still time. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, In a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friends, now is the time of salvation. Today. 
But the very fact that Jesus says today implies a tomorrow. What's the tomorrow? What's the tomorrow? The tomorrow is what Isaiah says, the day of the vengeance of God. What does that mean? Today is the day of grace. The day when the gospel is preached, where you can hear it and believe it. But tomorrow, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. What does that mean? Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, he will return as king and as judge. Scripture says today is the day of salvation, but Hebrews says that it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Right now, you have the time to hear and believe the gospel. But friends, you are not guaranteed a tomorrow. God in His mercy and grace has brought you here today to hear the, the good news about Jesus Christ. But tomorrow is coming. The day of the vengeance of our God. That should be a warning to us, shouldn't it? And that should be an encouragement to us as Christians to go out and tell others about this good news, about this great gospel. And friend, I hope that everyone here in the room today has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and given their life to Christ because it is the greatest news possible. The fact that you can be forgiven, that you can be set free, that you can be given sight, that you can be saved eternally by turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. One of the, my most favorite stories to share about the work of Bethlehem Christian Academy is about this boy named Julius Sinkala. Julius Sinkala lives in Zambia, out in the Bush community in Zambia, where one of our schools are. And the first time I met Julius was in 2016. At that time, I was still pastoring at, at First Baptist Ironton, and we were involved with BCA. And just like you guys, A.V. Chapel sponsors a child so too, First Baptist Ironton sponsored a child, and the child that we were given is a boy named Julius Sinkala. And so we were given the name Julius to sponsor that, him to, to go to the school and to get a, a meal every day and to hear about Jesus. And so I first met Julius in 2016 when I was able to go over to Africa for the first time. Now Julius, he's one of the older boys in the school. In fact, we really don't know how old he is because they don't really track birthdays like we do here. Right? They don't really know sometimes how old they are. He's probably 16, 17 years old. Um, but just because of the lack of education, he's, he's in the seventh grade right now. A great kid. And the first time I met Julius was in 2016. And uh, he was a little bit shy at first, but then he began to open up and to smile and got to know him a little bit. And, and to that point in 2016, even though that BCA, the school, had been there for, for a number of years, there hadn't been any salvations among the children. The gospel had been preached many times. The gospel had been proclaimed. But there was a lot of initially hostility to the gospel. It was, it was something that they weren't familiar with. But over time, God was beginning to do a work. And by God's grace, on that trip in 2016, Julius and several other students were saved. Julius was saved, and he, he came to trust in Jesus Christ. He was one who was materially poor and spiritually poor, who came to know the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. And he was saved. I was able to be a part of his baptismal service uh, on that trip. 
Now, since that time, I've been praying for Julius. I've been praying that, that, that God would grow him, that God would protect him, that God would give him faith, that God would make him a leader in the community, that he would make him into a leader in the church there. And, and one thing that happened on a trip just last year in, in July of 2018, the, one of the things that a group did was they were able to train some of these kids who have come to know the gospel and trust in Jesus how they can then go and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Just as this passage says, right? Just as they came to hear the good news of the gospel, they too did what Jesus did. They were trained to then go out and proclaim the gospel. And on a trip this past, past summer in July, they were trained to share the gospel, and then on the day of outreach, they sent Julius and several other children out into the community, out into the village, to share the gospel. And I'm told, I wasn't on this trip, but I'm told that group after group, Julius gathered together friends and friends, people in the community, and boldly proclaimed the gospel to these people. Now think about this for a moment. This group of children who, who several years, old, years ago didn't even know the gospel, didn't even know about Jesus, didn't know this earth-shadowing great news, have come to not only believe it, but now are proclaiming it and living it out. And friends, on that day, when they sent Julius and others out, there was over 80 professions of faith. Eight, over 80 professions of faith of those who gave their life to Christ. That's the, that's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the power of the transforming gospel. And friends, just like Julius, that's what we are called to do. As God has saved us, as God has transformed our lives, we're called to go and to make disciples, to go and to share the gospel, not only in Zambia and Africa, but here in Arcadia Valley as well. So I want to challenge you with that. I want to challenge you to, to become a light for Jesus, to become someone who proclaims the gospel in words and in action. And friend, if you're here today and you know that you're not saved, then why not today give your life to Christ? Again, Jesus says, that day is today. Give your life to Christ. Let me pray for us again this morning. Father God, we thank you again for your word and for the gospel, this good news, this great news, that God, because of your love for us, you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, to raise again on the third day, and to secure our victory and salvation for everyone, anyone who turns away from sin, and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray for each one here today. If there's one that doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that you would give them life now. Your, your word promises that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, do that today by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.